0: Premier Christian Newscast.
1: Last month, staff at BBC local radio stations went on strike in protest at major cuts heading their way. Their bosses at Broadcasting House have announced they intend to make millions of pounds of savings by scrapping some locally produced shows and in their place offering centrally made regionalised output. One of the areas affected most will be Sunday services and religious broadcasting, with many local shows cut and replaced by programming produced nationally. These cuts come at a time when Christians from various parts of the church have accused the national broadcaster of marginalising their faith. Is the BBC really trying to squeeze up Christianity from its schedules? Should Christians be fighting to defend their quotas and protected slots, or is this actually just a dead end? And what is religious broadcasting actually for? Serving niche content for the dwindling band of churchgoers in this country, or trying to showcase Christianity to secular society at large? I'm Tim Wyatt, and on this week's Premier Christian Newscast, we're discussing whether we still have faith in the BBC and its religious output. Joining the show today are Michael Wakelin, a TV and radio producer and formerly head of BBC Religion, Angela Tilby, retired Anglican priest and a former BBC religious producer, and Paul Carenza, a writer and comedian who's recently written a history of the BBC and religion. Well, hello all, and thanks for joining us uh, on the show today. Um, Could I start by asking you each to introduce yourselves briefly? Uh, Paul, why don't you go first? Uh, thank you. Hello.
0: Lovely to be here. I suppose I'm, I'm Paul Carenza. I'm mostly known as a comedian and a writer, and I do some religious broadcasting, including Pause for Thoughts on Radio 2. And more recently, I've been particularly fascinated with broadcasting history and doing a huge project there to uh, document the origins of British broadcasting, and particularly falling down the rabbit hole of very early religious broadcasting and uh, what came before the BBC and then the very early
1: BBC uh, religious broadcasts. Awesome. Um, Angela, would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Yes, I'm not sure if I count as very early religious broadcasting, but I have been doing it for about <laughs> 20 years. Um, I jo- joined the BBC in 1972 as a researcher on the Sunday programme, uh, which was then on, on Radio 4. And I then was a radio producer, then television producer, and I did that for 22 years, and then I was ordained, and I taught at a theological college, and I worked in a parish and a cathedral, and I'm now a retired um, canon in Portsmouth. So it's been a, but I still contribute quite a lot to um, Thought for the Day and the Daily Service.
1: And Michael, who are you? Yeah, Michael
3: Wakeley. I joined the BBC when I was in my mid twenties, I suppose, having been abroad for a bit, and um, I then rose up the ranks through religious broadcasting and ended up as head of religious broadcasting, leaving in 2010. But along the way, I was series producer of Songs of Praise. I worked in television documentaries and Songs of Praise as well. Now I'm executive chair of the Religion Media Centre, which helps journalists cover religion and I'm also um, an executive producer for TBI Media and we produce Pause for Thought on radio too so I'm still very much engaged in broadcasting and very happy to be out of the BBC.
1: <laughs> well maybe we'll come back to just why you're so pleased in a second. Um, the kind of impetus for, for, for gathering this excellent panel of guests today was, was planned cuts the BBC has announced a few months ago to their particularly to local radio services which we'll see in general, lots of sharing more programs across kind of broader regions, uh, uh, cuts of lots of the weekday programs, but in particular to our interest, a lot of the Sunday specific religious shows that local BBC radio produce are going to be reduced and a lot of it more produced centrally. Um, I guess I wanna kick off by asking, do you care? Is this a concern to you or is this just one of those kind of tedious insider kind of rationalization story? Um, Angela, what's your thoughts?
2: I think it's a a big concern to me because I see it as a parallel of what's actually going on in the churches, where there's a tremendous drive for centralisation, for cutting off the local, for closing parish churches and for driving things by much bigger, bigger areas. Um, I think actually this is disastrous because actually, you know, faith is incarnational. It grows from the ground and it it needs that neighbourliness, that contact. One of the very good things about local radio was that it gave a voice to smaller than just regional and national communities. It enabled people to really get to know who they were serving. And so if, if you cut, you know, you share, all right, you get something, but you don't get that sort of immediacy of being on the ground, knowing people, knowing your communities, knowing what's going on. And it's a trend that's all over um, British life at the moment, uh, but the churches is perhaps the closest parallel when it comes to religious broadcasting.
1: Mm michael do you share those fears
3: yes it it is a disaster but there was some um ghastly inevitability about it i think the bbc has to make very tough decisions obviously financially it does but it often makes them in a disconnected way from what is really most important i think that's the difficulty with this because the the local broadcasting i mean local radio is is strong and fantastically strong because it's local that's why and now they're going to be bringing together these stations especially around you know, afternoon type times and evenings are all going to be amalgamated and it's going to lose that localness which is a real shame especially coming from norfolk where radio norfolk is, is fantastically powerful so it, it is a shame um and it's uh, just uh, one of those difficult decisions the bbc makes what else could they do to save money uh, so, Hard to say, but this is obviously going to damage Ooh. them in the. the
2: Pay their celebrities <laughs> the less.
3: Pay their celebrities. Well, there's that. <laughs> yeah, really, they could do that.
2: Could. They? A lot less, actually. There's lots of people out there who do the job as well. You just have to get to know them a bit. I think yeah. there's something that you know, this pursuing of 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 the names which is is not edifying anymore. It doesn't work anymore because the whole thing's too diverse anyway. So you don't get national names in the way that you once did. BBC can't control that. So it might as well go with the trend.
1: Do you think this is simply just, as, as Michael suggests, a consequence of the kind of difficult financial decisions that BBC is under? Or do you think this is indicative of a broader uh, issue around how the BBC approaches faith and broadcasting around religion?
3: Well, it's been doing it for years, as Angela will testify. They've been cutting back and back on, on the kind of safeguarded religious programming. Um, I, I don't t- detect a conspiracy about that in particular, not now. Um, but we did, we did lose a lot of programming when things like Every Man and Heart of the Matter were axed. Everything became up, up for grabs to the independents. So an awful lot of the core expertise of the BBC in in the subject of religion was was badly damaged many years ago. But I don't really connect this decision with that. I think as too many years have passed. Would that be fair, Angela?
2: I think that's right, and I must say, as someone who still contributes, I'm I'm I am really impressed by the professionalism of those who produce and and manage these the programs. I, I know they they work under tremendous strain. Yeah. It's much much harder work than it ever was when I was a radio producer, yeah. um, and and they do much more. But I've I've really been um, felt well produced, and as someone who's been a producer, that's really important to know. Yeah.
1: Paul, you've obviously done a, a big kind of look back through history at. Religion broadcasting no. on the BBC over the last century. How does its offer today compare to to t- previous previous eras? Do you think?
0: Well, I th- I think you do. Firstly, even away from the religious broadcasting, in terms of the regional, um, you, you go back a hundred years, and back then there were complaints about the centralisation of the BBC and the fact that Reith was trying to to take over from the regions because the BBC started as a regional. Uh, offering in terms of broadcasting you know it began with london and then manchester and birmingham the next day and very quickly popping up around the country but within a few months there was that sense of well london knows best and we need to control things from here uh, and 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 the listeners were Directing against this and you had the children's hour ever popular children's hour but to begin with you could see in the newspaper um comments and reviews and letters that the local people were saying we love it because we really feel that connection with the local and I think that also then goes into the religious sense as well to sort of move into that because you very early on you had um very early just preachers before they could establish what sort of flavor of service they should offer that the, when the daily service came in but it was individual preachers offering their take on the modern world as uh, early show, uh, The View From My Window, for example, just early senses of a, a sort of a, a thought for the day, kind of, uh, or pause for thoughts at sort a of moment. But once you start getting, again, that sense of centralization and John Reith and this, the panel of people, they're deciding, well, actually, what, what do we want for our listeners? What do we actually, do? of course, this is before viewers. Um, and once you start getting that real sense of, well, we need to offer the best of things to people, what is the best of things? And that, of course, is a matter of taste and opinion. And and it narrows what the offering is going to be, unless you really trust those local people to offer what they think is best to their communities.
1: It's got
2: <laughs> do people think- down, though, hasn't it, in the end? I mean, of course you want a national voice. Of course you want people who will speak for and into the nation. But how does, you know, it's, it's a constant sort of two-way movement, isn't it? Mm. I think churches work well when they're aware of both sides, you know, when there's, 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 a, there's a, the genuine local voice, but, but also a kind of over, it, it, it's, it's a question of oversight. How much do you see? And you can't see much on the ground unless you're on the ground. But sometimes you need to be above the ground. <laughs> yeah. and there's, yeah, yeah. There's, mm-hmm. uh, there's lots of parallels there, I think. And, and I think the BBC was at its best when it had genuinely sort of both sides working yeah. for it.
3: A bit of bottom up and top down. Yeah. Mm. And
2: also, you know, the, the sort of regional expertise that used to happen, this was not local, it was not national, but regional centres like Bristol and Birmingham that yeah. used to be, which, you know, did their own particular things and and sometimes did national things, which were well-known and always came from Birmingham or always came from Bristol, you know, like the Wildlife Centre at Bristol, they get a sort of expertise and that, that runs, in, you know, helps the whole system, really. I think that's mm. you've got to work out the different layers and then see how do they interact rather than have anyone dominating.
0: I think it's where well, you put you also get that sense of, of choice I think is such a lovely thing when you've got you can choose the local offering and in the pandemic especially you had that sense of the local uh, radio stations offering uh, a, a flavour of local on a Sunday service and that sort of thing yeah. and really you know away from religion connecting with locals and helping you know Mrs Jones down the road need someone to go to the pharmacy and get a prescription for it and they did you know and they could only do that with the local network they had so then to sort of it does it can feel a little bit like they're punishing the local people when actually they've just got off the back of saying how brilliant local was in the pandemic yeah. Um but so when you have cuts though I suppose one of the things that goes is, is a sense of choice because you start to go well we're going to reduce that sense of local because we're offering so many great things at a national level and you know I think Radio 4 is brilliant it's offerings in terms of religious broadcasting, uh, if we're sort of decreasing the local, it's, it can be a shame not to offer that choice. But I guess choice is one of the things that goes in, in cuts.
1: The, the kind of the the top line of the BBC charter is kind of national target is to, is to produce 115 hours of religious content on TV each year and 370 on radio. And I looked at the, the most recent annual report and it said it was comfortably exceeding this target. So I guess if we had a BBC spokesperson on the show, they would say, what's the problem? We're, we're producing more religious content on both TV and radio than we're supposed to. Why, why are people unhappy? What, what's people's response to that? Well, I, this is a um, point I really
3: wanted to make, I think, because when I was uh, head of religious broadcasting or in religious broadcasting, uh, the big thing was to fight for the department. You know we had to keep our programming in order to keep our expertise and what if they started taking that away from us we know we would lose our critical mass of talent in religious broadcasting so that that was um probably the wrong in, in, looking at the big picture that's not a very helpful thing to do for the bbc mm-hmm. i'm far more concerned now that the bbc should be religiously literate across all its output mm-hmm. so you're talking news you're talking your dramas I mean, I've seen terrible things on dramas over the years. What do you think? Oh, for goodness sake. But if, mm-hmm. if the BBC was properly religiously literate across the piece, I don't think we should worry so much about hours of religious broadcasting. Yes, of course, there should be worship, yes. And, and some of the, the God slot type stuff and some of the debate programs, I don't want to take them away. <clears throat> but the more important thing is that the BBC has a, a strategy for religion across the piece.
1: I think that would be a better way of looking at it. Yeah. Do you agree, Angela? Because there's often this debate about, you know, do you fight for the quotas and the protected slots? Or, as Michael says, do you actually think that that isolates religion and makes it a kind of tedious tick box exercise and it's better to infuse it across the whole offer?
2: Well, uh, again, I think it's both. Actually, I think you do have to fight a bit for the protected slots. And I don't think there's I don't I mean, there was a time when things like Thought for the Day were really very exposed and there was those constant attempts um, to kill it off. But over time, I think it developed a rationale which was uh, agreeable to and made sense to BBC editors as a whole, that it, it, it was offering something which couldn't be offered anywhere else and it required particular sorts of expertise to do it. So I think there is a kind of, there's a kind of dialogue here. I mean, the, the irritation about ignorance of, of religion um, is, is just general, and I don't know. I mean, this silly little thing, as you know, why in every drama that anybody goes into an empty church is it all the candles lit? You know, I mean, it's just absurd. you know, eventually burned down. And I've never ever seen a vicar wearing the right coloured stole for whatever it is they're meant to be doing. So, so you get used to those sort of little stupidities, really, but they are irritating, yeah, you know. And you can imagine, if in a way, if you were you're part of a Muslim and Sikh community, those sort of little errors. Strike you as being a sort of a sort of quiet assault because people aren't just aren't bothered yeah. to learn, you know. And and I think those things are, are I mean, they, in themselves, they don't matter, but they do. They do reflect what I think is sometimes a kind of you know the, the sort of the view that secularism is neutral, and yeah. that a, a secular position on everything is the common sense place where we allow yeah. the religion in to do. And so of course, secularism isn't remotely neutral. No. Can see, you know, and <laughs> the coronation—we are not a secular country constitutionally mm. at all—and um, it, it's very rare that you get that properly reflected mm. in the mainstream media. Um, yeah. So I, d- I do think there's a, there is a kind of education and information mission to be done. But yeah. I don't know how you do it unless you appoint people who have that expertise. Well, and this, BBC this, hasn't been doing that for quite a long time.
3: It's partly why we set up the Religion Media Centre. Yeah, of course. <laughs> to, to help yeah. journalists, you know, with their... Perhaps lack of knowledge so that we can give them the materials they need, the resources they need to cover religion in the right way. There's
2: good interaction, isn't there, between that and the broadcasting organisations. I mean, it's very interesting how people's careers sometimes take them from one to the other and back again. Mm. So you get a sort of flow of information that's going between the, the outside resources and the inside. And I think that's all quite positive, really.
1: Paul, did you in, want to come in on that? Well, i just think
0: there's some of those things Andrew was saying about the uh, when you get things wrong on television. There's, there's a sitcom I worked on years ago as a co-writer, just doing additional material, and I had to write a scene set in a church, and I remember distinctly writing this scene, which was set, and I thought, let's make it a, a sort of modern, like a Baptist church, you know, white walls, something a little bit that you don't often see reflected on television in fiction. And it came, the script came back to me from the producer, and it was completely rewritten as a... Pillars, you know, village of Dibley, county of Midsummer, kind of centuries-old church. And I said, what happened to, it doesn't matter out the plot, but I said, you know, what happened to my church in there? And she said, well, it's shorthand. You know, people will watch, and if it's a big white-walled thing and there's not a cross and candles and cassocks, yes. we'll have to explain to them that this is a church, by the way, and not a conference centre, whereas if it looks like Dibley... They just know, and then it's a self-perpetuating problem. Then, if you've got yeah. to constantly yeah. reinforce the stereotypes that people think they know about these things,
3: yeah, the vicar so, in any plot line is always in his church putting out the hymn books, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I see more pews on television than in our local church. Well, here, but exactly. You know,
0: it's it's. But then, a few years ago, I remember there was a, apparently there was some sort of uh, brief. Uh, document I saw go out there saying from the BBC we need to put religion through all of our programs soap operas dramas comedies we want religion across all these things and I thought brilliant lovely now's the time to repitch that religious sitcom I had for radio four years ago and I chatted my radio four producer and he was just looking and going yeah but we don't know if we're going to do that I mean it's it's a little tricky to work out how do you get religion through you know, yeah. comedy like a stick of rock, and I thought, well, here's an idea. So you just you just need to constantly
3: re-encourage. I think yes. that sort of dialogue and those pitches and things. I think mm. that's right. There was there was no money behind that project, Paul. I think that was no. the trouble. There was no that's budget to make it happen. It was a good intention, but easy to say, trickier to do. Yeah.
0: Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast.
1: and what do you guys think about the kind of the flagship shows you know songs of praise is the one that stands out you know that was in not so long ago was getting five six million view viewers in the Mm -hmm. 90s and people complain about it's been shifted to a graveyard lunchtime slot it's now contracted out it's not made in-house at the bbc does that matter does it do we we get too focused on one show or do do we think this is kind of again emblematic of the whole
3: why don't you go first on that, Angela, and I'll, I'll pick up the history, perhaps after you were more across <laughs> it. Yes,
2: okay. Well, you know, I, I worked on songs of praise for a time. I think there's a there's a problem with songs of praise with the diversity of religious music that uh, that's actually around, um, and how how you reflect that in a way that that makes uh, makes a comprehensible mix, um, and that is quite complicated. I so, sometimes feel when I when I see it now that the um, you know, it has become a showbiz type of t- type of program, and I, I'm not surprised in a way. I'm not quite sure now who would who would go for it. I mean, I can see that something that in a way was traditional but diverse would attract those particular constituencies um but at the moment it's 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 a bit like something that's been created for television which i'm sure is part of the purpose and because television doesn't understand religion you're not going to get a comprehensible um show out of it and i think that's a real real problem which nobody's really wrestled with i think
3: certainly if the traditional songs praise that was made <clears throat> 30 40 years ago was on in prime time it would look very old yeah. now i yeah. think so we yeah. when i became series producer we started trying to make it a bit more show busy now, one time we were attracting all the kind of record pluggers of middle-of-the-road yeah. music were coming to our door because we were one of the big music shows on telly, believe yeah. it or not. Yeah. Um, and we were frightened of this business of going further and further into the afternoon. And we used to joke about it that one day we'll be on at lunchtime and, you know, hey, it's crazy <laughs> on at lunchtime now. So that, yeah. that's a bit of a shame. But the I, I, I do think, I mean, it's yes, it's popular amongst the older um Christians in the country, I think. But the the job it does of telling stories is what we introduced yeah. alongside some celebrity elements to make it more attractive with great lighting and a nice mix of music. It's a good, very good show, and they've they've very much stuck with what we set up back in the nineteen no, it was the early two hundreds, two thousands rather, why are very similar to that now. Yeah. Why
2: have the audiences <laughs> declined then? Do you think?
3: Why? Well, is the, they've definitely well they they were declining even though we used to get four or five million um, and. Yeah. And then, I suppose, gradually they were going down. And then once they started moving early in the day, of course they went down because people aren't available in the same
2: way.
0: You're not going to get
3: 4 million people at lunchtime. It's
0: fascinating to think you just said there about the, uh, it was one of the the places you could go to plug an album, for example, or or something like that. I I love the idea that when Top of the Pops went, that for Songs of Praise, it's an opportunity.
3: (laughs) You know, you could get Stormzy on there talking about his (laughs) latest single or something. And you know we it, tried everyone, believe me, we tried that's everyone. Great. But certainly people like Catherine Jenkins, yeah. Brin Turfel, Ali Jones himself. You know, they were, we were Russell Watson. We were big market.
2: But it's true, um, and there were some brilliant producers. I mean, Andrew Barr, who's just died, oh, who's him. very, very important um, in bringing in the whole Black Pentecostal gospel music yeah. into television, both in on TVS where he was who um, looked after religion and on Songs of Praise. Um, and and you know, he he was one of those people who just had his ear to the ground. He knew rap was going to be important long before anybody else did. I mean, you know, it, and, and that kind of insight and expertise is really, really important for a show like Songs of Praise. You've got to know where it's coming from next.
1: Yeah, mm. I guess hiding behind this discussion is the question of, you know, what is Songs of Praise or, or religion on the BBC for? Is it about serving your kind of existing Christian audience, which is not going to be an increasingly older com- population, as we know, mm-hmm. as the country kind of loses its, its church-going habits? Or is it about kind of showcasing... Christian faith, sacred music to a broader audience of people, most of whom won't be believers themselves. Do you think those two things are in conflict or should all religious shows really trying to be doing both at the same time?
2: I think all um, religious broadcasting has always been doing both those things at the same time, actually. I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's always been a sense that there are uh, people of faith who like to see their faith reflected, but there's a, there's a whole other audience of people who just are attracted by the the visuals or the sounds, and and will be drawn in for the, for those reasons. And I think that's 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 pretty much always been a dual aim. I don't mm-hmm. think they're incompatible with one another.
0: I think or, you can do both. I'm sure because I mean there can be a sense that songs of praise can feel a bit like country file sometimes. That you're visiting different parts of the country and yeah. different themes and topics. But in a way, I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing or a watering down because I I don't watch songs of praise every week. Maybe in the past people you know you you would do the equivalent of 20 years ago series linking it but um i don't watch it every week but i will look you know in the radio times or whatever it will pop out and you go oh this week they are visiting uh, cornwall i'm interested in this i want to go and watch that element of it so there are by going thematically sometimes you can land on a thing where they go "Oh, this, it's the anniversary of this i would like to watch uh, watch for that particular moment or that celebrity maybe but more more likely that thing they are talking about and if they can find the religious angle on that thing the coronation for example um then there's just it's a new new way of finding a a religious prism to look at a subject through
1: michael
3: yeah i I mean i would still definitely want it to be there and i still think it has a, a role to play um maybe there would be a way of reintroducing it for more special occasions a bit later on in the schedule so that more people might come across it but um yeah I, I i approve of what i see now and i still think they're doing good jobs with with certainly the country file type thing the thematic thing marking the big occasions you know we've uh, i know at TVI we'd, we would love to take it on we've pitched for it but I haven't won it yet but uh no maybe one day
1: <laughs> One of the things you mentioned earlier, Michael, which I think is worth coming back to is this idea that there's a there's a loss of religious literacy within those who work at the BBC. And you hear I hear that a lot from Christians that, you know, there's this there's a perception that it's run by kind of smarmy metropolitan liberals who are all kind of dyed in the wool atheists and and look down their noses at us kind of oiks who still believe in God. Is any of that stereotype true in your experience? I was going to say, I could introduce you to a few of those. Um, I, I think there definitely was a strand there
3: in, in BBC management. that was not one, I can't say, hostile to religion, but certainly not particularly bothered by it. Um, that wasn't true of the top management, though, with Mark Thompson and uh, Mark Byford when I were there, who are both very committed Christians. Um, I'm sure they've wised up now and they, they're, they're much better, I think, at, at uh, reflecting that mix of society. I mean, how can you avoid it, really? But I would still like to see greater religious literacy across
1: the piece.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Angela, what's your experience? Do you, do you find well, yourself I, butting heads
2: with the BBC producers? I mean, not these days. I mean, I, I think I was—I ex- experienced quite a lot of hostility much, much earlier in the, in the end of the 20th century. I mean, that was that was really when um, things seemed under pressure. And I worked as a producer on Everyman for a long time, and I mean, I, th- I think I was the only church-going believer in the team virtually, and was I was quite often, you know, there's just a bit of joshing about it. Oh, this is one of Angela, you know. So, um, and there was a, a general attitude of scepticism that we're there to educate people. I mean, one of the series producers, I won't say who, more or less, said she thought it was their job to educate the church out of religion, you know. And that was a kind of that was a kind of view that was held.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Religious
2: destroyers. Really. What are
3: the names of the chat box. Angela? I
2: won't tell you who it was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe off often. off mic. We'll hear about that afterwards. Yeah. yeah, I mean, how do you feel, Paul, as a as a church-going Christian yourself, when you turn on the radio? Do you experience kind of that talking down to, or do you feel like actually there's lots of they're meat, they're, they're taking this seriously? They're not just treating it as a kind of a niche hobby they have to pander to occasionally. I
0: I, I think it, it does vary, but um, I always find it a little bit of a shame. I I that I I welcome when I do see for example, religious documentaries, not just about Christianity, but all sorts of faith, and it's just being talked about. But so often, I, I encountered it recently, and I, looking through the listings, thought, oh, there's some little religious documentaries coming out. That looks quite nice. Oh, yes, it's Lent, isn't it? That's right. They pack them yep. all into Lent. It's just, and it doesn't matter, you know, Sikh, Muslim, doesn't matter, <laughs> they're all in Lent. Um, it's just the thing. I'd love to see that throughout the year a bit more, and just really to, for producers and commissioners to realise, I think, and many do, but to, to really realise that, actually, these are great stories. And mm. when you've got that story about, um, you know, couples going through trying to uh, adopt, but, you know, what's the faith angle on this? What's couples going trying to uh, marry against their family's wishes? What's the faith angle on this? And know some great documentaries that explore that, but they're often poked away at 11 o'clock at night on mm. a Tuesday every week because yeah. it's Lent, why not? Um, whereas actually, these are great stories. And I think, you know, on the comedy circuit as well, I, I see, I'm seeing a, a little bit more uh, tolerance, I think, towards faith. I think because we, we're generally welcoming uh, people with, with different viewpoints. And it's great to see different diverse people walking on stage going, here's my angle on the world. I am a gay Hindu. Here's my attitude on the world. I'm a conservative Christian, whatever it might be. But as long as you've got a firm sense of who you are, what your view of the world is, then I think you can, there's some great stories to be told there. And uh, and I think TV and radio need to keep, you know, finding them and telling them.
2: I think overall, the BBC and other broadcasters have done a great deal for inclusivity and um, recognition of diversity in in society. And, and it, it is much, it's, it's, it's you know, in in a way that, that they've they've done it in a sort of respectful way. I mean, very much as the Queen said, and the late Queen said in in um, twenty twelve about you know the the role of talking about the Church of England is is not just to promote itself, but to make it safe for people of all faith traditions to, and and non non faith to to be who they are. I mean, it it was a, it was a real kind of nugget of, of the role of public institutions really in making faith. Um, possible, and I, I, I've I've got a, a, a theory which may be completely wrong that actually the you know the devotion and goodwill with which Muslims keep uh, keep Ramadan and and witness to their faith. I think I think it will ask questions of the sleepy Christians, mm-hmm. you know, to say how how do you actually keep your faith in a publicly responsible way, mm-hmm. and 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 could spurt a sort of revival because you actually got a community who are living it seriously and communally yeah. in a way that we haven't really done. Yeah. very much as a whole so I'm, I'm sort of I'm quite hopeful about the next generation as far as faith goes I don't think it'll necessarily look much as it has in the past or sound much as it has in the past but I think it'll be there.
1: And I suppose in some ways you, you mentioned you know that Britain's growing Muslim population we have a Hindu prime minister yeah. um, you know th- those are great stories which you know. BBC News is, is covering and, and and maybe there's there's an alliance there, an interfaith kind of alliance to say, you know, just as, as Paul was interested, there's great stories to be told from Britain's minority communities. You know, Christians yeah. are also a minority community these days. We're seeing that in the census increasingly. Like maybe there's an, there's an angle to say, you know, why don't you peer into this interesting segment of British society and their interesting rituals and way of life, which is actually going to be increasingly Obscure and unknown to the average Brit these days,
2: but it's also quite interesting how, in an odd way, the established church and its and the tradition of the established church has a capacity to contain some of that diversity in ways which the more you know more strictly denominational churches don't. And I think that's really extraordinary. But it, I think it is true. Increasingly, you can see that interaction that the institution somehow widens. It doesn't compromise itself. Um, but it, it it widens and acknowledges, and that changes both sides of the dialogue. Really, hmm.
1: Paul, did you I, want to come in there?
0: Well, I was just thinking, yeah, in terms of the way that broadcasting has changed, if, and religion has changed in the public sphere as well. That actually, if you know, it's a whole different conversation if we're sort of giving up the center ground, so to speak, or the the mainstream thing. But certainly, when when broadcasting began, there was that sense that you know, wreath came in and decided that I need to use this public service to. Uh, tell people about God and religion and, and yeah. for teaching you know and he, in fact before he even got the BBC job he came to London for work and went straight to church because his father was a Presbyterian minister and heard this sermon reading from Ezekiel who will stand up for the gap in the land who will stand up for the moral fiber of the country and read sort of left church going I will I just I don't know what to lead yet but I will find that thing and he'd never heard of radio at this point so then, when he starts to to use this um, for that is very different from what we're talking about now in terms of of maybe Christianity almost on the fringes, and finding those stories because nowadays we are, I think quite rightly, saying there are some great stories on the fringes and in the yeah. gaps and what's what are the interesting stories we can tell then, as opposed to preaching from the center, so to speak,
3: because it maybe it was before. I'm I'm so proud of what we've done on Pauls for Thought over the years because I was very, uh, uh, right at the beginning of my BBC career, I used to produce Pauls for Thought, and it was entirely Christian. And then occasionally we'd have the exotic Rabbi Lionel Blue come on, and it was really, ooh, you know, and I found a Muslim and he could just about broadcast sort of thing. But um, now the rich mix we have, of which Paul is a part, is wonderful. Cover all the major faiths now, some great broadcasters. So it's come a long way. And so I think it's continuing to go in the right direction. We're telling those stories. We're reflecting the, you know, the makeup of religion in the country. The big decision, I suppose, is now in the with the census, whether we should start to think of including the secular voice. I'd love Angela's view on that, because uh, we you could certainly justify it as long as you have secularists on who don't. Spend their time slagging off religion, which is what they've sort of done. Do, in the do you mean on
2: Thought for the Day, particularly? That that um, yeah, or, or
3: indeed, of Thought. Yeah. Mean, it's,
2: it's really weird. This, but you know, when I produced Thought for the Day myself in my twenties, I had I had humanists on, um, Charles Gee. Handy. You know, he, he, and nobody gave it. Nobody gave it a second thought. And I don't know when it was that it became unacceptable and it became an issue. Um i mean not 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 all the time, but you know if you have somebody who has something to say that speaks to the spiritual in people yeah. um I don't see that there's a there's a particular problem. What I think is really difficult is when it becomes a matter of um almost quotas, you know British humanist society has to have one and a half people per year, you know, mm-hmm. and then it just becomes very tedious and very stupid because actually it's not what people belong to, it's what their insights are, which is is what counts. Um, and I think that's going to be a really tricky one if it ever does come to conflict, um, you know. Or um, and I, I'm not terribly in favour of making, you know, por- apportioning out numbers per faith or non faith, because I think that's a road to disaster. Yeah, really. we, we don't we then, don't do
3: that. We go on talent. <laughs>
2: Yeah, Mm. people feel they have a sort of entitlement to have their spokesman Mm. and the spokesman has to be a representative rather than an individual. And that's all great loss. I mean, the best speakers on Pause for Thought and on Thought for the Day are people who, you know, that, yes, they're within the heart of their particular orthodoxy, whatever it is, but they're also interesting people. And, you know, you you want to hear what it is they've got to say.
3: They're good broadcasters, that's what
2: we're looking for.
0: I'll I'll
3: throw in a quota from
0: from the late 50s, if I may, with my uh, history hat on. In the late 1950s, the BBC... Um, Permitted two Unitarian, four Quaker, and two and two Yiddish broadcasts per year. So that was your lot. Otherwise, it was Christian.
1: And it strikes me that, particularly today, in you know the 2020s in the United Kingdom, the quickest way to kill religious broadcasting would be to do something similar and say, "Oh, now it's time for the humanists one and a half slot per year," and then we'll take in a thought from Sunni Islam, and then we'll go to Shia Islam. It it has to be driven by great stories, great broadcasters, people who can actually grab your attention. And and say here is something fascinating. I have something to say. I've got something to share. Well, if
0: I, can I offer a, me- a metaphor from the, um, the the comedy side of things? That a few years ago, um, there were too many male panel shows, all male. Mop the week and things like that. And there was a quota that every comedy panel show had to have one female comedian, and it meant for a good couple of years, you're watching them, and everyone would watch it going, "Well, that's that's her. She's the quote. She's the one who's just taking the place because she's female." But after a couple of years, panel shows started to go, well, no, let's have lots more than just one. Let's have two, three, you know, taskmaster on Channel 4 would, would have always have more women than men for, for many years. And as a result, we've forgotten that now and quite right too. You sort of just go, they're all good. They're all just good. So if we can just spend a bit longer, maybe rather than doing the quota thing, maybe just finding out, mm-hmm. let's just get the best people. And that way, you know, you still have to have it in the back of your mind to have this broad uh, the broad church so to speak but um but then you can forget the quote otherwise it does look a bit like you're just you know ticking a
3: box there yeah,
1: yeah. A fi- we're running out of time but a final thought from michael and angela uh, do you feel optimistic about your kind of successes at the bbc and 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 the, sh- the shape of religious broadcasting for the next 20 30 years do you feel hopeful Angela's view will be
3: more important than mine, so let me go first, Angela, then you can, you can wrap up.
1: <laughs>
3: there are some very talented people there who are really good at what they do. There are some fantastic BBC journalists who are very religiously literate, even though they're not religious themselves. Um, and I, I do have great hope. I'm thinking of some of the big reporters that we see, like you know Jeremy Bowen, Lise Doucette, Um, these people who really know their way around. And um, I, I, I'm very optimistic. Uh, I just hope the BBC keeps its keeps its vision for that reflection of society and telling the stories that we've been talking about today. I, I think they will. There are some wise, wise people there. Angela?
2: Yes, I, I think I have a sense about the uh, institutions in general that we we don't give enough attention to our Judeo-Christian roots. And BBC Religious Broadcasting does its bit for this, but it's a, it's a much, much wider issue about how we keep... Used to be said, the rumor of God alive. That yes. is Jove
3: Priestland. Human,
2: yeah, human. It wasn't Priestland actually. It was wasn't a it. But Priestland quoted it very often. Oh but it yeah, was, um, yeah. It was, it was. I mean, it's this idea that somewhere or another in our deep roots there is this series of beliefs that uh, that come out of the Christian um, tradition, um, and and actually they do interact and intersect with other faith traditions. But it's really really important that they are nourished. And I I don't think they're well-nourished at the moment by the churches, actually, very well, who don't seem to understand their own theology or their own traditions and background very adequately. But they're really, really important. You know, if we spend our time saying, as people have over the last three or four years, you know, nothing quite works in this country. Why doesn't it quite work? Well, a lot of it's to do with um, ethical ideals which have been abandoned by institutions, by the failure to pass on traditions of honesty and honest dealing and fairness um you know a lot of the stuff which isn't working is because we've lost our faith um and i think we need to go on drawing people's attention to that
1: yeah, yeah. well that seems like an appropriate moment to draw our conversation to a close thanks very much uh, paul michael and angela it's been great having having you here and kind of eavesdropping on that well very well informed and interesting conversation i hope everyone enjoyed listening to that as well um and we'll be back next week with another show but until then bye bye that's it for this week's premier christian newscast but if you've enjoyed what you have heard please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use and why not also tell a friend about the show don't forget to also subscribe to the podcast on your phone or tablet to ensure that you receive each episode automatically sent to your device week by week thanks for listening and we'll see you next time
0: premier christian newscast